Oh, good evening. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we pray that we would be enabled by your Spirit tonight to celebrate your first advent in a way that honors you and gives you glory. May this indeed be a joyous season for your people. Help us to conform not only our celebration of Christmas this season to your word, but also, Lord, cause us to look forward to your second advent with longing and celebration. We ask for this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I, mean, I, I called this make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, uh, as you know, I've looked at some of the hymns, uh, the Christmas carols that we sing. Um, we did Hark the Herald Angels sing last time. Uh, today I want to look at joy to the world and making a joyful noise to the Lord. You may be surprised and perhaps even a bit disappointed <laughs> uh, to learn that the song Joy to the World, uh, which, may, which we often cite as you know, our favorite Christmas carol, uh, is not actually a Christmas carol at all. Um, Millions of Christians sing this great hymn at Christmas, celebrating the great news of the Incarnation and declaring, let earth receive her king. The carol uh, was written by the man commonly called the father of the English hymn. His name is Isaac Watts. Joy to the World, and we'll look at the lyrics in just a second, was published in 1719 and wasn't originally considered or meant to be a Christmas carol. It was meant to be sung all year round. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and angels sing. At Christmas, we rightly celebrate the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Jesus in the flesh in the little town of Bethlehem. But joy to the world, though it may be sung rightly and triumphantly at Christmas, uh, is not truly uh, regarding this particular event. It is actually about the second coming, uh, Christ's second Advent. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, applies when we talk about Bethlehem and when we rejoice in the gift of the infant Christ. But the song uh, should remind us that Christmas isn't over. Yes, the Christ child entered the world, but that is not the end of the story. Luke 2, 52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He lived a perfectly obedient life to the Father's commands, doing all that God's law required. Then, dying a sacrificial death at the hands of sinners, suffering the wrath of the Father in the place of all those who would turn from their sins and serve him in faith and obedience. This long-expected Jesus was then buried, rose again, ascended, and now sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Christmas isn't over. The promises of Christmas are not yet fulfilled. Earth will fully receive her king when Christ comes again to reign and to rule. 
Much of Joy to the World is based on the Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm 98. If you turn there, we're going to lay a little foundation. Um, This is what Isaac Watts was looking at as he penned this hymn. So Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, a little parallel, let's look at the lyrics, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. The well-known hymn exhorts its listeners with these words, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. This is joyous. What a wonderful proclamation. The Lord is here, our God. After centuries, after millennia, the promise made to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden of a deliverer, a savior, one that would reconcile God and sinners has come to us. The original promise is found in Genesis 3.15. You can turn there. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, right, speaking to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise, the first gospel presentation, if you will. Um, God promises to send someone to save his people from the evil one. Isaiah 7.14. Turn there. And Isaiah... Isaiah 7, 14. It 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That deliverer promised to Adam and Eve was not just someone. That deliverer is God himself. It happened. God here among us, as one of us, to save us. The second person of the Trinity has come in veiled glory, masked by flesh, um, in a fairly inconspicuous entry into the world. Mary, Joseph, a few animals, um, and an announcement to a few shepherds. Of course, this announcement was accompanied by the entire host of heaven. Turn to Luke 2. Luke 2, we'll just look at 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Last time, we focused on the announcement and, and um, all of the heavenly host that were there, the angels praising God for this little one born in a stable, lying in a manger. The Lord is come. This is joy to the world. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is your Lord. That means we are his subjects. If this is not a joy to you, if this rubs you the wrong way, um, having a Lord being subject to him, check yourself now. Um, those are the seeds of rebellion. Let earth receive her king. Each of you is called to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as both Savior and King. You cannot merely have him as your Savior and not as your King. He is your Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is your ruler, and nothing changes that. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2. Nine through eleven it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In time, eventually, uh, perhaps tonight, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps a hundred years from now, one day every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Yes, this includes those that rejected his mercy and his grace here on earth. I exhort you, um, bend the knee willingly now rather than being forced at the last judgment. Submit your will, submit your entire being to his rule now. 
He cannot be your Savior without being your Lord. He is your King. He must be received as He is presented in Scripture. If you reject His rule, you reject Him. You set yourself up as a usurper, an illegitimate and imposter king that will be rightly judged and destroyed eternally for your rebellion at his appearing. To those longing to be free of sin, to those long awaiting their Savior, long awaiting their Savior King, this is an immeasurable joy. Joy to the world. As Jesus' first advent, right, his first coming, um, at that, the earth did not receive her king. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, you can turn there, verses 2 to 3, we see that Jesus was born and the wise men came to Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 2. We'll take a look at verse 2. So these wise men, they came to Jerusalem, and they asked Herod the king, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. In Matthew 2, you can go down to verse 16. What is his reaction? Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, right? they were warned in a vision not to return, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region, region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The earth did not receive her king. In fact, when the world system felt threatened by its true king, it slaughtered all male babies and toddlers in order to murder its God and king. At Jesus' first advent, the earth did not receive her king. He grew up, and he preached his kingdom. How all authority had been given to him. How God and sinners could be reconciled. The earth did not receive her king. Instead, the earth crucified her king. Then the king of kings, the lord of lords, Returns. Will you receive your king with unspeakable joy when he returns? Or will you hide your face and pray for the rocks to fall on you? Look at Revelation 6. Revelation 6. And um, 
starting at verse 14. The sky vanished like a scroll that, has, that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was, was removed from its place. Then the kings of earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? When Christ comes again, earth will receive her king. Every knee will bow. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let every heart prepare him room. As John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preached in Mark 1, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This should ring true uh, with all that we've been learning um, in the book of John on Sunday mornings. Isaiah 40, verse 3, is what is being quoted there. Isaiah 40, verse 3, says, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord. This is Yahweh. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, Adonai, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Luke 3, starting at verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, um, Isaiah is the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. With this line, let every heart prepare him room, um, we do hear echoes, right? A faint and distant echo of the innkeeper in Bethlehem, who had no room for Mary when labor was near. Luke 2 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We rightly sing this lyric to our own hearts and to others as an invitation to prepare, to prepare room for the good news. The good news of what? A Savior's birth? No. Are we to prepare for a baby? No. Baby Jesus, Jesus Christ, He's no longer a baby lying in a manger, sleeping peacefully in an animal trough, in some dirty stable, in some silent night in Bethlehem. This will not be a sign to you. You will not find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There will not be one lone angel declaring to a few shepherds on a hillside that a Savior has been born. 
No. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and uh, verse 11, and I'll read uh, to the end of the chapter. Verse 11, Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed with fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it a false prophet, who in, his, in its presence had done the signs which deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, it burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came out of the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Turn to Revelation 22. Kind of gives new meaning to some of these uh, hymns, these carols. Come, long expected Jesus. Revelation 22. Uh, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets, with those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still, still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my rep recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. We are to prepare for his next arrival. Just like in John, John the Baptist's time, Christ had come. He was there. He pointed to him. Prepare the way. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was not waiting on a baby. He was waiting for Christ to show. Look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Um, Starting in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And here we have from that first verse. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. So they are singing. They are playing. They are worshiping. They are praising with all that is available to them. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. This carol is unusual in that the words do not focus on the joy uh, we experience as we look back and celebrate the incarnation. Uh, They encourage us to look forward, to discover the joy we can find by reflecting on the future hope, the second coming of Christ. This, again, is based on Psalm 98, and it's descriptive of the age to come. Go to Psalm 98, and we'll kind of, for the remaining time, focus there. Again, Psalm 98. In verses 5 and 6, Psalm 98 uh, admonishes all humans to use all musical instruments, along with their voices, to sing praises to make a joyful noise before their king. And then in verse 7 and 8, let the sea roar 
and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. And so, Isaac Watts, remember our hymn writer, wrote, Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. The third verse is perhaps the most unfamiliar to many of us. Um, and there is imagery of a curse. It doesn't fit well um, when we think of whether it be Christmas festivities or um, joy to the world. Um, but take a look at verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. The reversal of the curse is promised uh, in the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of his atoning work. Uh, implicit in this third verse is the promise of the new creation. We live in light of that promise. Christ's victory over sin is declared to extend far as the curse is found. What curse are we talking about here? How far does it extend? Where is it found? Christ was born to remove all the effects of the curse. So where is this curse found? Everywhere. Everywhere we look, we see the curse and its effects. How far does it extend? To every atom and molecule of creation. That's how far the curse is found. By Adam, our federal head, the curse of sin came upon all humanity. For the wages of sin is death. All creation is under the effects of the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam was told. The curse is God's righteous judgment of sin. And the effect of the curse is death. The curse has fallen upon all human beings. First, because of Adam. Because of Adam's sin. And then because of our own. In Adam, we all sinned. In Adam, we all died. Every single human being is found under this curse. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 We are born under a curse. We are cursed by the curse. And the law offers no escape. We cannot work our way from, un, from out from under the curse. So where is the good news in that? Where is the joy to the world? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What we sinners could not and cannot do for ourselves, Christ has done for us. He removes the curse and the power of the law to condemn us. How? He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. The sinless Son of God became incarnate as the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. That sinless Son of God became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. According to uh, 1 Corinthians 5.21. He became a curse for us by hanging on a tree in fulfillment of Scripture. Christ died on the cross in our place, bearing the shame and guilt, paying the full penalty for sin, 
dying as our substitute in our place by his shed blood. He redeemed us with the curse by becoming a curse for us. He died our death in our place, bearing our sins, redeeming us from the curse. And on the third day, the Father raised him from the dead. The cursed and crucified Savior rose victorious from the grave. He will remove and reverse this curse for the earth. Romans 8, 20 to 21 says, For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The curse will be removed and all rebels will be subdued. Revelation 21, And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, also he said, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his, this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be made will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He will also remove the curse for his saints. First John 3, verses 1 through 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. While we rejoice in redemption and forgiveness and the new man and adoption, we still say, O wretched man that I am. We still are confessing our sins dependent on Christ, our propitiation. We still must put to death the internal sources of outflowing sin and never stop pressing for the renewed knowledge of our Creator. He is our Redeemer. The first location of the curse was in the heart of the creature made in God's image. And the day that he ate, he died. So the removal of the curse will be the reforming of the moral image of the creator and his redeemed, his justified creature. We'll reverse that. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. How glorious. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This is Isaac Watts' um, 
poetic uh, dealing with Psalm 98, verse 9. It says, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. When he appears, the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness, because his righteousness will not be compromised in any sense toward those who have ignored and despised it. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. They will experience his might, but will never sense the glory of it. At the same time, others will prove the wonders of his love. For he comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 Even those who expect him to be glorious and shining and um, with the glory of perfect righteousness and holiness, they'll still marvel. Far beyond their ability um, presently to perceive, they will actually see him. They will find the vision enough to elicit sincere praises for all eternity. The sight will be infinitely engaging, transforming. His redeemed ones will make a joyful noise before the king. In the fi this final verse, uh, we're reminded that while the sting of sin is great, there is hope that is greater. Jesus Christ, who rules the world with truth and grace, it is this grace that causes hearts dead in sin to come alive in Christ. The final two lines of this hymn call us to continue marveling in the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. The first time Jesus came, the nations did not prove the glories of his righteousness. Instead, human history has proved over and over the extent of man's rebellion against his righteousness. When we look at the world around us, we know that his blessing does not yet flow far as the curse is found. Instead, we see the impact of the curse in every part of our lives. Sin and sorrow still grow, and all the thorny effects of the curse remain the reality we live in day to day, year by year. When Christ comes again, the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness, as people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will dwell secure under the righteous rule of King Jesus. So, we sing joy to the world at our Christmas concerts. Sing joy to the world while caroling out in the snow. And we sing joy to the world at Christmas Eve services like this. It is an undeniable, undeniably joy-filled declaration of God's goodness. He has given a Savior, and that Savior, that King of glory, is Christ the Lord. And he is returning for his own. Those he came to save when he came the first time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, you have indeed uh, brought joy to the world as you have come. We pray that the people in this valley would receive their king. Lord, prepare hearts for the preaching of your gospel. 
Help us to employ every means we have, every means we've been given to praise you and bring you glory along with your creation. Lord, may we no longer let sins and sorrows grow in our lives as well as in your church. May your blessings truly flow far as the curse is found. May we with joy anticipate your return to rule and reign and acknowledge even now that you are King and Lord of all. May we be among the nations that prove the glories of your righteousness and wonders of your love, both now and for all eternity. Amen.